Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A night full of drama, not lacking surprises, we have projected outcomes from highly contested U.S. Senate races across the nation. Will Republicans be able to pick up the five seats needed to gain a majority in the House? They're currently projected to gain four. We take a look at what's known so far about the balance of power in Congress. Big wins for Governors Ron DeSantis in Florida and Greg Abbott in Texas, while Governor Kathy Hochul holds off Lee Zeldin in New York. We have the rundown of the latest results. Voting machines outages in the 2022 elections. Multiple counties reporting significant technical problems. Concerns surrounding vote counting delays. Could fraud happen during this drawn out process? And how high is the standard for fraud evidence in the courts? We bring you some expert analysis. the day after midterm elections and there's a lot going on. There were 35 seats at stake in the Senate, all 435 seats in the House and 36 governor seats. And we'll also be taking a look at the balance of power in Congress. Results are still coming in, but here's what we know right now. First, let's look at the outcomes of some of the most highly anticipated Senate races. As of right now, both Democrats and Republicans control 49 seats. We start off with the most clear cut among the projected winners. In the Granite State, New Hampshire's incumbent Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan wins re-election. She beat her challenger Don Bolduck with 55% of the vote. Bolduck received 45% and has conceded. That's with around 71% of the votes counted. Republicans saw Hassan as one of the most vulnerable Democrats in the Senate seeking re-election. Her win could be attributed in part to her willingness to step outside party lines. She recently criticized the Biden administration in debate with Bolduck for its policies on the border and a hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan. In Ohio, Trump-endorsed Republican J.D. Vance beats Democrat Tim Ryan. The race has been called by both Decision Desk and the Associated Press. Vance came in with over 53 percent of the vote, Ryan with close to 47 percent. That's with around 83 percent of the precincts reporting. The race was tightly contested for several months. Vance was able to gain momentum after two debates with Ryan in October. The candidates were vying for a seat left open by retiring Republican Senator Rob Portman. Ryan reportedly called Vance to concede. Going to Arizona, the incumbent Democratic Senator Mark Kelly has a big lead over his Republican challenger, Blake Masters. Kelly currently has around 53% of the vote, compared to Masters' 47%. Right now, only about 71% of the ballots have been counted. So this is still too early to call, but as of now, it's looking like Kelly will hold on to his seat. Masters picked up a late endorsement from the former Libertarian candidate, Mark Victor. He dropped out of the race about a week before the election. Victor's name was still on the ballot and soaked up around 2% of the vote. In North Carolina, Republican Ted Budd defeats his Democrat opponent, Sherry Beasley. Budd received 52% of the vote, and Beasley finished with 48%. That's with 99% of the votes counted in North Carolina. Next, let's take a look at Wisconsin and Nevada. Democrats were hoping to flip the Wisconsin seat held by incumbent Republican Ron Johnson. This one is really close. Right now, Johnson leads Democrat Mandela Barnes by about 26,000 votes. An estimated 91% of the ballots have been counted. Right now in Nevada, it looks like incumbent Senator Catherine Cortez Masto might be losing her job. Trump-backed challenger Adam Laxalt has taken the lead with 51% of the vote. Cortez Masto has 49%. Around 86% of the ballots have been counted so far. So stay tuned to find out what happens. This outcome could change. 
So the big question many are wondering is which party will control the Senate when the dust settles? Let's take a look at a map to get an idea of how this is playing out. Of the 35 seats up for grabs, Republicans are projected to have secured 19 so far. Democrats took 13, three are still undecided. Projected results show Republicans controlling 49 seats. Democrats are sitting at 48 seats. They have gained one in Pennsylvania. More on that race in Pennsylvania coming up. Here's a look at some important races for governor. Several high-profile candidates were on the ballot, from Governor Ron DeSantis to Governor Gretchen Whitmer. In Florida, Ron DeSantis cruised to an easy victory, defeating opponent Charlie Crist by a 20% margin, 60% to 40%. DeSantis even managed to turn Miami-Dade County red. That's a feat that hadn't been accomplished in 20 years when Florida Governor Jeb Bush secured the county. We have highlighted some other results here as well. In Georgia, Brian Kemp was victorious over Stacey Abrams by an eight-point margin, 54% to 46%. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, Democrat Josh Sapir Hero defeated Republican Doug Mastriano in a consequential open race for governor. The current margin is 56% to 44%. In Maine, incumbent Democrat Governor Janet Mills cruised to a smooth win over Republican Paul LePage, 56% to 44%. In Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer held on to defeat Tudor Dixon, 55 to 45%. In Wisconsin, incumbent Democrat Governor Tony Evers won against Republican Tim Michaels, 52 to 48 percent. Meanwhile, in Texas, Republican Governor Greg Abbott defeated Beto O'Rourke by a double-digit margin, 56 to 44 percent. Now we take a look at the races for governor out west, where Carrie Lake is facing off against Katie Hobbs. That race and several others are still too early to call. In New Mexico, Democratic incumbent Michelle Lujan Grisham has defeated Republican Mark Ronchetti by a margin of 52 to 46 percent. Libertarian candidate Karen Bedoni was also on the ballot, coming in at just under 3 percent. Over in Kansas, Governor Laura Kelly, a Democrat, beat Republican Derek Schmidt by about two percentage points. Kelly had been considered one of the most endangered governors in the party. The Oregon race for governor is still too close to call. Democrat Tina Kotek holds a slight edge over Christine Drazen in early results, leading by just 2%. Out in Arizona, Democrat Katie Hobbs is currently leading political newcomer Carrie Lake by 2%. That's with just over 71% of the votes counted. Any dispute of election results could take an unpleasant turn as Katie Hobbs has refused to recuse herself as elections chief. Her office is tasked with canvassing and certifying the results that each county submits. Meanwhile, in Nevada, Republican Joe Lombardo leads Democrat Steve Sisolak by about four points with about 86 percent of the vote in. Tina Kotek leads Christine Drazen by a point and a half in Oregon, and Republican Mike Dunleavy has a strong 29-point lead in Alaska. Former U.S. President Donald Trump on Tuesday celebrated the apparent successes of some of the candidates he supported in the midterm elections. As of this moment, and we have some out there, we are 80 wins and three losses. Is that good? Wouldn't that be funny if we were better on the general election than the nominations themselves? So that's great. Now, in North Carolina, just out, Ted Budd is now leading. Doing great. He's leading 51-47. In Missouri, very good guy, Eric Schmidt, is now up 55-43. to In Ohio, J.D. Vance is now leading 52-47. 
Dr. Memenaz has called John Fetterman to officially concede Pennsylvania's Senate race. According to Fox News, Democrat Fetterman's win has flipped a key Senate seat away from Republicans. The Fox News decision desk calls the race for Fetterman early this morning, and Oz made the call. And Oz made the call to his opponent just hours later. The Fetterman's spoke, spokesman told Fox News the Senate race was among the most important battles in the country for the midterm cycle, with Pennsylvania being one of a handful of states that will determine control over the Senate. And Georgia's Secretary of State wins another term. That's despite former President Trump asking the state's residents not to vote for him. He's known for denying fraud in the 2020 presidential election. Trump endorsed an opponent to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in the primary elections, but was unsuccessful. Raffensperger defeated Democrat opponent State Representative B. Nguyen with 54% of the vote. Trump was criticized for a phone call he had with Raffensperger after the 2020 election. Critics allege Trump tried to pressure Raffensperger to act on election fraud claims and fine missing votes. Trump denied he said anything inappropriate in the call. President Biden is also no fan of Raffensperger. He and Georgia Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams previously criticized him over state voting policies. Georgia's U.S. Senate race is one of the most closely watched in the nation. Incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock is in a tight race with Republican challenger Herschel Walker. The contest is yet to be called. Right now, Warnock is leading with just over 49 percent, Walker with over 48 percent. Around 95 percent of the votes have been counted. Now, based on Georgia's election rules, if neither candidate gets over 50 percent of the vote, it will head to a runoff election, and that looks like a strong possibility. If it happens, we can expect that on December 6th. Both Warnock and Walker thanked their supporters last night and asked them to hang in there. Have a listen. So y'all just hang in there. I'm feeling good. I do. I feel good. We know how much is at stake in this election. So thank you for being with me, and I'm grateful that we are together every step of the way. And um, if you can hang in here for just a little while longer. Just hang in there a little bit longer because something good, it takes a while for it to get better. And it's going to get better. So I want to just thank you guys for hanging in. And if you some of you have to go home, you can wake up tomorrow morning and see that the new senator for the great state of Georgia is Herschel Walker. A quick zoom in on Texas next. Republican Governor Greg Abbott has won a third term there. Abbott has backed conservative policies, including opposing COVID-19 vaccine and mask mandates. He also signed the strongest abortion ban of any U.S. state and has bussed thousands of illegal immigrants to Democratic-controlled parts of the United States since April. Speaking of law enforcement, we've got to fully fund our law enforcement officers and give them the respect they deserve. We need, we need to end these easy bail policies that allow dangerous criminals out onto the streets. And we must escalate our battle against the deadly fentanyl that is pouring across our border. We must treat it like the crime that it is, and that is murder. And I, I jumpstart that process by declaring that the Mexican drug cartels are terrorist organizations, and we are going after them. We must never forget our schools are for education, not for indoctrination. Schools must stop 
pushing political agendas and get back to teaching the fundamentals of math and science and reading. But more important than all of that, our students need to be taught why and how the United States of America began with literally nothing and went on to become the best country in the history of the entire world. That is what they need to be taught. Senator Marco Rubio and Governor Ron DeSantis have won their respective races in Florida. Rubio came in at over 56 percent of his Democrat opponent Val Demings is roughly 42 percent. DeSantis secured a dominant victory over Democrat Charlie Crist. He beat Crist by a nearly 20-point margin, 59 to 40 percent. That was the widest margin in a Florida gubernatorial race since Jeb Bush won by nearly 13 points in 2002. His re-election to a second term bolsters his rise as a prominent GOP star with potential White House ambitions. He framed his candidacy as a battle against what he characterizes as the woke agenda of liberals. The host of American Thought Leaders, Yanya Kellick, has more from Florida. Now, we're still uh, tallying the votes, but it's clearly apparent that this election, we will have garnered a significant number of votes from people who may not have voted for me four years ago. And I just want to let you know, I am honored to have earned your trust and your support over these four years. We have embraced freedom. We have maintained law and order. We have protected the rights of parents. We have respected our taxpayers. And we reject woke ideology. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. While our country flounders due to failed leadership in Washington, Florida is on the right track. I believe the survival of the American experiment requires a revival of true American principles. Florida has proved that it can be done. We offer, we offer a ray of hope that better days still lie ahead. Now, thanks to the overwhelming support of the people of Florida, we not only won election, we have rewritten the political map. Thank you for honoring us with a win for the ages. So I'm here with Helen Foray, the executive director of the Republican Party of Florida. And she is a proud Hispanic. And, is, and we're going to talk about the Hispanic vote. I think that's what we need to talk about here. Well, the Hispanic vote definitely was significant in flipping Miami-Dade County, which is the largest county in Florida. We have seen that uh, Miami-Dade County, for the first time in decades, has voted red. And that's a direct result of Governor Ron DeSantis. Why do Hispanics like and support Governor DeSantis? Because they have lived through socialism and will not relive that story again. Governor DeSantis has been a fierce defender of individual liberties. And the wokeism that the left has brought to our country is totally unacceptable. Governor DeSantis, without being Hispanic, has really reached out and spoken to the Hispanic community in a way that raises 
elections is that you are voting enthusiastically for a leader. Governor DeSantis has redefined Republican leadership, and that makes all the difference in the world. And, uh, you know, one thing that the governor has been very strong on, frankly, the Florida legislature has been very strong on, is, you know, basically putting parents first in education, hence the parental rights in education bill. Now, uh, where do Hispanics land on this? It's a bit of a loaded question, but tell me. Hispanics are 100% in favor of family and being the ones who are have that universal right that's been always accepted, that they should have the final decision on what is best for their kids. How can government come in and say government knows what's best for your kids. That's absolutely preposterous. They didn't give birth to them. They aren't the ones who take care of them every day. Teachers unions, like Chris, Charlie Chris's running mate, think that they're the ones who are in charge of children, that the children are theirs. We're the ones who are reminding them that as parents, we are responsible for our kids. No one's going to love them more than we, and no one's going to fight for them more than we. And that's why we have had a landslide election in Florida. Well, Helen Perry, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with Epoch Times. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has declared that Republicans will take back the House of Representatives. That would mean McCarthy would have a good chance of becoming the next Speaker of the House. To take control of the House, a party needs 218 seats. According to the Epic Times, Republicans need 18 more seats, while Democrats would need 35 more seats. McCarthy's optimism seems in line with expected results, but most media outlets still haven't called the race. Speaker Nancy Pelosi hasn't conceded yet. She's still optimistic about Democrat chances to keep the lower chamber. Next, we hear from an analyst on concerns surrounding delays in the vote counting process and efforts some states made to secure their elections. Joining us now is Hans von Spakovsky, the manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative and senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. It's a pleasure speaking with you, Hans. Thanks for having me, especially after a very long night. Oh, and absolutely. And why is it that some states are longer to count ballots, and why can't we know the results on Election Day? Well, some states have really pushed people to vote by mail instead of in person. And the more mail ballots you have, the longer it's going to take to count because it just takes more time to open, process, check, and then count those absentee ballots than ballots simply put into a ballot box on Election Day. Also, keep in mind, uh, while some states say your absentee ballot has to be in by the end of Election Day, other states uh, say, well, as long as your ballot is postmarked by Election Day, we'll continue to accept them often for days after election. And so that all of that's going to delay uh, the counting of ballots. Let's talk about Pennsylvania. The acting sure. secretary of the Commonwealth, Lee Chapman, she's tried to manage expectations, saying expecting results in one day is unrealistic and unfair. And she said protracted counting doesn't mean anything nefarious is happening. What's your response to this? Well, part of the problem in Pennsylvania is that uh, the secretary of state the acting secretary of state and frankly prior secretary of state have not done a very good job of administratively organizing the state. I mean, this is the same acting secretary who uh, recently said that she was going to defy the U.S. Supreme Court and was telling general registrars to count ballots uh, of uh, voters who did not put the date on their absentee ballot, even though 
state law requires that. The state Supreme Court recently told her, no, she has to abide by the law. But that tells you a little bit about how she operates and her inefficiency. Let's go down to Florida. That, that state is able to determine the outcome right. of the election on Election Day, but some other states can't. Is this a feature or a bug? Uh, it, it is a feature. And what folks need to understand is that after the 2000 presidential election, where we had all those problems in Florida, Florida made a great effort to improve its election process, and that included um, all kinds of new efficiencies for counting ballots. For example, they open up and process absentee ballots to check, is this really a registered voter? Have they met all the requirements um, prior to Election Day? And then they actually start counting, uh, and they do it very quickly and very efficiently in comparison to other states. So does this cut down on concerns about voter fraud, and does counting ballots long after Election Day give more opportunity for fraud to occur? Well, it certainly does if you don't have observers there, and that's part of the process. As you know, candidates and political parties try to have uh, poll watchers, poll observers watching it. Uh, if counting goes on for weeks after Election Day, it's often very difficult to find folks who are willing to uh, stand there and observe the entire process. And it's when you don't have observers that things can happen that should not be happening. Hans, I want to ask you, officials in a few battleground states like Pennsylvania, Arizona, Michigan, and Wisconsin are concerned that delays in the vote counting process will pave the way for claims of fraud to be made. How should we view this? Well, yeah, that is potentially a problem, but everyone should keep in mind that the standards in the courts for actually producing evidence of fraud are very, very high and you often have only a very short time. So if someone simply comes in and said, well, there was a three-week delay, no court's going to listen to that. They're going to have to come up with actual, real, substantive evidence that fraud occurred. Very good analysis. Hans von Spakovsky, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, thank you so much for your time today. Sure, thanks for having me. Coming up, more on the election results from Arizona and Nevada. Our reporters on the ground bring us the details. And what happened to the red wave many were predicting? We have analysis from former California gubernatorial candidate Larry Elder after the break. Welcome back. Trump administration press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders wins the race for Arkansas governor and makes her the first female governor of the state where her father also served as governor. In her victory speech, she spoke of her father's greatness as governor of the state, yet said she hopes to outdo him. She won the race with over 63 percent of the vote versus her Democratic opponent, Chris Jones. Former President Trump encouraged Sanders to run for office when she left her post in his administration in 2019. Leslie Rutledge won the race for the state's lieutenant governor. Sanders' father said it makes Arkansas the first state in America to have both a governor and lieutenant governor who are women. Rutledge also won the race with a sizable lead of over 64% of the vote. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer won a second four-year term in yesterday's election, defeating Republican challenger Tudor Dixon. The race in the battleground state centered on abortion access. This after the U.S. Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. Whitmer filed multiple lawsuits in state courts to block a 1931 law banning abortion from taking effect. 
With over 80% of the votes in, Whitmer was up around 9 points, 54 to 45%. I am so, so happy to be here with all of you and my family and my partner in governance and all the phenomenal Michiganders who worked so hard to make sure that our voices were heard, to make sure that we set our state on the course that is focused on the future, that is focused on solving problems, not demonizing others. Nevada's U.S. Senate race was close throughout early polls. Most polls had the candidates tied at 47 percent. Late in the race, GOP challenger Adam Laxalt gained on his Democratic opponent, incumbent Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Cortez Masto's seat was seen as one of the most likely to flip for Republicans. Early vote counts had the incumbent leading and looking like she might win. Laxalt has now taken the lead with around 87 percent of the votes in. The Trump-endorsed candidate is currently sitting just under 50 percent. Senator Cortez Mastro has just over 47 percent. Here's entities David Lamb on the technicalities of the race. John, um, so how long do you think we'll be staying here until the election results come out? Well, it could be quite a while, Dave, because the, the Nevada has a, has a rule where all, they will not release results until all 17 counties have gotten their results and have and have had them compiled and what we've been hearing is people were waiting online when the polls closed at seven o'clock and if you are online they allow you to vote so there are still people voting in washoe county which is the second largest county where reno is and other precincts here in uh in las vegas where 70 percent of the people live in live in clark county so uh, you know, there were people still voting at 7.30, 7.40, so uh, we, we might not be getting results, at least first batches of results, till maybe like 9 or 10 o'clock P- PST. The race for governor in Nevada has yet to be called. Republican Joe Lombardo currently leads Democrat Steve Sisolak by five points. With 87 percent of the vote counted, it's Lombardo at 50 and Sisolak at 45 percent. And keep your fingers crossed, keep supporting, keep saying your prayers, and we're going to be successful, and then we're all going to get back together again and have a real party, all right? So So every one of you, please thank each other for all the work you've done in this campaign for myself, Adam Laxalt, and everybody else on the ticket. Everybody else on the ticket, because we've worked hard because we want to ensure that we put our state back on the right track. Because we can all agree we're going in the wrong direction. We spoke with Nevada voters on Election Day to hear their sentiments. Here are some of the thoughts and concerns they expressed. Well, I'm a little bit suspicious of the entire voting process as it stands right now. But uh, I voted. The advent of computer-controlled voting uh, opened the door uh, to computer-controlled cheating. Um, I feel pretty good. Um, I would like pretty much for everybody that's already in office to stay in office so that we can continue to progress and do well for the state. The Republicans are actually trying to connect with uh, the minority population and to um, uh, better understand their values and actually co-align with them. Concerned with the issues like the, uh, the economy, the border, the violence. 
It could take days or even weeks for Arizona to announce winners in tight races. Under state law, election officials have until November 28th to finish counting. The county with the most people, Maricopa County, had nearly 2 million people request early ballots. If they drop them off last minute, those ballots will need to be verified before they can be added to the results. The county expects to start processing those last-minute ballots today. The county's election director told the Arizona Republic he expects to report 98 to 99 percent of the ballots by Friday. And if the races are really close, half a percentage point. That'll trigger an automatic recount. The Maricopa election director said the entire recount process could take until the end of December. After falling behind early, Carrie Lake has made a strong surge back in the race for the governor's chair in Arizona. Her opponent, Katie Hobbs, is hanging on to a lead, which is now under 1%. She was previously up by 12 points. What brought you out to Chandler to vote in person today? Yeah, it's the only way I like to vote. I don't really trust. Um, I have trust issues with the voting system since the last presidential election. And did you experience any voting irregularities while you were in there? Everything was pretty orderly, and um, the people that were the that were working the the booths and everything were quite knowledgeable and helpful. What brought you out to do in-person voting today? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've always done in-person voting. It just feels uh, normal. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess. Uh, I don't know. There's something about actually writing it down that feels good for me. I needed to vote in person to feel a little more secure about the voting process and confirm the integrity of this election because I'm suspect of some ballots that were being mailed out to Maricopa voters that were federal-only ballots that were incorrect because we have inaccurate voter rolls. What is the most important issues to you guys voting in Arizona? To me, uh, the border. To me, there's nothing more important than the border, than uh, people being able to come in uh, under illegitimately and not go through the correct process. Don't mind people coming in. We don't mind new citizens. But having people come in that are unchecked um, is a big security concern, I think, to everybody. Over to our host in the L.A. studio, Siamak Karami speaks with a political analyst about progress in the Arizona governor's race. We are here in our California studio. We are watching the West Coast races here. And today in the studio, I have Craig Kashishian, who is a pollster and political analyst. He did polling for President Reagan. Great to have you, Craig. Thank you, Siamak, for inviting me tonight. Are you surprised by the result of Arizona race so far? I am very surprised. I thought... Both races would be a lot more competitive to this point in time than they are as we speak. Now, we must say that there is some dysfunction in the polling in the voting procedures in Arizona today, which may have queered the results to date. But nonetheless, uh, I thought that uh, Carrie uh, Lake and Blake Masters were truly robust candidates. And so far, from what I've seen, they're underperforming. And Katie Hobbs is actually a secretary of the state for Arizona, so some of the election she's un under Katie, Katie's supervision, right? That's true. Uh, she is indeed. But Katie Hobbs, I thought, made a strategic mistake. Uh, she didn't want to debate her opponent. And that doesn't benefit the citizens of Arizona when both candidates are uh, not debating in a very crucial election with issues so temperamental as they are today. 
So I thought Katie Hobbs did the voters of Arizona a massive disservice. That should have really counted against her. As, as fate would have it, I'm both a trial attorney by training and also a pollster and political analyst. I see litigation here in action for quite the while. And I can understand why. I mean, what I just heard was, was quite disturbing. The fact that voting machines, after the irregularities of 2020, Arizona should have had its, its, its voting system mastered by now, so there wouldn't be any controversy. Instead, there is massive controversy as we speak. Uh, the vote seems to be frozen at, what, 51 or 52 percent as we speak. That is not a healthy uh, result at this time, and it's certainly not fair to the citizens of Arizona. Now, do you think these results would get a lot closer as, as, the, as we get to see the whole, the full result of the race? Of course they will. Uh, but nonetheless, a 16-point gap at this point in time is still substantial. It takes a lot of, of heavy lifting for that bridge to, to be mounted. Historically, the party of a first-term president loses ground during the midterm elections. This, along with other factors, had many pollsters and analysts predicting a red wave or even a tsunami. Right now, the GOP has picked up a few seats in the House, and the Senate is still a toss-up. Cindy Drukier from NTD's The Nation Speaks got some analysis from Larry Elder, the host of The Larry Elder Show. He says the expected red wave did not materialize. Look, I'm flabbergasted. It seemed to me 40-year uh, inflation... Uh, crime uh, through the roof in many in many cities. Philadelphia is setting records for homicides, soft on crime uh, Democrats, uh, at least two million people illegally uh, in this country because of the of the borders. It seems to me that uh, it was all teed up, all lined up, uh, a perfect storm for Republicans to do really well. So I'm very, very surprised. I just think the polls have become increasingly unreliable. I don't think people trust them. Uh, I think people don't tell them the truth. And um, I think it's hard to poll people when uh, people are on cell phones, so I, I just think increasingly they're unreliable. I look at the betting parlors, and the betting parlors uh, over in Great Britain had the uh, Republicans taking the House, and they had them taking the, the Senate, but they also had them taking the House and the Senate, again, by odds that apparently are not going to uh, come to fruition. So nobody, everybody got it wrong. I also think one other thing happened. In the last few days, the numbers came out uh, for jobs, and they were about a quarter million jobs created. And also the GDP grew by 2.6%. So I think uh, people were feeling a little bit better about the economy. And that is the issue that most people say is their number one concern. Still to come, officials in several states say their voting machines were down or not working properly on election day. We'll have that story after the break. Good to have you back with us. Officials in several states say their voting machines were down or not working properly on Election Day. One of those locations was in Maricopa County in Arizona. Some of the ballots that after people have voted them, they try and run them through the tabulator and they're not going through. If you can't put the ballot in the tabulator, then you can simply place it here in where you see the number three. And this is a secure box where those ballots will be kept. So this would function much like early voting functions in that we would get your ballot back. Once we've signature verified it, we would send it to our central tabulators. 
ballots that are in here will already be in effect signature verified, so we won't need to confirm identity, but we will central tabulate them. This is actually what the majority of Arizona counties do on election day all the time. Republican officials filed a lawsuit to have voting times extended in Maricopa County. The lawsuit was denied by a county judge. In Mercer County, New Jersey, all of the voting machines countywide were not working. The West Windsor Township Clerk, Gay Huber, attributed the issue to a countywide system outage. Huber says voters were still able to vote on a standard ballot at polling locations. In Harris County, Texas, at the Metropolitan Multi-Service Center, only 10 out of 50 voting machines were functioning. The same county saw another location with computer problems, leaving only two voting machines in working condition. Indianapolis also experienced glitches with their voting machines. U.S. Cybersecurity Chief Jen Easterly warned before the elections that errors and glitches were likely to occur. She described such occurrences as normal and nothing to be considered nefarious. She says it happens during every election and there are multiple layers of security built into the system. Democratic New York Governor Kathy Hochul and Senate Leader Chuck Schumer celebrated on election night as preliminary results gave them an edge over their Republican challengers. Hochul currently leads Zeldin 53 to 47 percent, with 86 percent of the votes counted. Hochul went against Lee Zeldin, a congressman from Long Island, and Schumer faced off with Republican Joe Pinion. Hochul succeeded Andrew Cuomo after his resignation and was seeking a full term as governor. Chuck Schumer just won his fifth re-election to the U.S. Senate since 1999. New York's Attorney General Letitia James also celebrated her re-election on the same stage as Hochul and Schumer. The glass ceiling, like the one that's above us here today, has finally been shattered in the state of New York, and you made it happen. I am so proud and so honored that the people of New York have given me another term to keep doing what I love, fighting to deliver real results for New York in the U.S. Senate. We sent a message, a shot across the bow, to the most powerful companies and people who believe that they're above the law, that they are not and that this attorney general will hold them accountable. Democratic Representative Tim Ryan conceded the Ohio U.S. Senate race to Republican J.D. Vance. Trump-endorsed Vance came in with over 53 percent of the vote. Ryan has close to 47 percent. That's with an estimated 83 percent of the votes counted. Ryan told supporters it was a privilege to concede. I have a privilege right now, a privilege as someone who was the Democratic nominee. I have the privilege to concede this race to J.D. Vance because the way this country operates is that when you lose an election, you concede. And you respect... You respect the will of the people. To the people of Ohio, I want to say something. I know, of course, we won a very good victory, and I'm very proud of it. Because of all of you, we won a great victory. But I want to say everything, to, to whether you voted for me or not, if you're watching on TV, whether you voted for me or not, the thing that I promise to do is go to the United States Senate and fight every single day for the people of Ohio. Thanks to you, we get an opportunity to do just that. 
Edison Research projects that Republicans have flipped four Democratic seats in the U.S. House, one fewer than they would need to capture a majority. But that number could change as 100 of the 435 House races have yet to be called, including some with vulnerable Republican incumbents. And dozens of Latino charros, Spanish for cowboys, rode to the ballot box on horseback yesterday in Phoenix, Arizona. The ride was organized by Poder Latinx, a nonprofit that aims to galvanize Latino voters in battleground states. The convoy was held in a predominantly Latino part of Phoenix. The route was about 3.5 miles long and went from a rodeo in a suburb to a church next to a ballot drop-off location. That's where members of the convoy, who had not yet voted, dropped off their ballots. I think uh, now is one of the, the Latino voters has been talked about as being one of the one of the most important votes, one of the growing demographics around the country, and I think this is one of the uh, the opportunities that we have with our community and organizing them and bringing them out to an event um, and just showing a little bit of our heritage, uh, but also making sure that our voices are heard of Latinos. This is a celebration of our democracy, and we were motivating, encouraging, empowering our community to come out and vote today on Election Day for those that hadn't voted. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.